Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us on this Palm Sunday. I'd like to remind you that it would help us greatly if you were to sign up for Easter Sunday services. These sign-ups help us to know how many people to plan for in each of the services. And we want to avoid the need to send people to overflow. Uh, and so we just ask that you would sign up. Unfortunately, this doesn't mean that it guarantees you a seat. You're not signing up for a seat like a ticket uh, to church. We just use those numbers to know how many people to plan for. So if you could do that. The second thing I would like to suggest to you, you don't have to do this, but it would help us. If you regularly come as a couple or as a single If you would consider teaming up with another group of people to form a group of four or five who would sit together on one row, that would help us to fit more people into the sanctuary while still maintaining proper social distancing between groups. So if you have friends uh, that you regularly are with outside of worship, that they're in your group of people. If you could come together as a group and sit as a group of four or five, that would make it so that we wouldn't have to send people to overflow as quickly. So I would recommend that to you if, uh, if you uh, are willing to do that. All right. Now I would invite you to open up your Bibles. We'll continue our study of the book of Galatians. We are in chapter 3 of Galatians this morning and we'll be focusing our attention on verses 15 through 18. Now, in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul is drawing on Scripture from Genesis, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy to make his defense of faith not works as the grounds for entrance into the family of God. That faith is the grounds for entrance into the family of God. And now in verses 15 through 18, Paul explores this concept of inheritance in light of what it means to be a son of Abraham by faith. Why would one want to be a son of Abraham? What is the benefit of being adopted into this family of God? The reason articulated here is because Abraham has a great inheritance and those who are members of his family are to receive it. The promise that was made to Abraham was that he would be the father of a great nation and that nation would inherit the land of Canaan. This particular promise of Canaan was a shadow of the fuller and greater inheritance that the Lord was seeking to give to Abraham's family. Namely, the whole world, the whole world renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul makes this connection in Romans chapter four, when he says for the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that he would be the heir. He would inherit the whole world. And this did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The inheritance is the world renewed. It is life everlasting. It is the heavenly country to which we travel. It is the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. This is the promise. This is the inheritance of Abraham's sons. And so as we read our text, 
I would encourage you to listen to how Paul establishes the surety of our inheritance. That we might walk in confidence that we will truly receive it. Because the promise is unchangeable. It is unbreakable. And it is never ending. So hear now the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 3 starting in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you this morning and we come to your word asking that you would enlighten us in a knowledge of Christ that by the power of your spirit, we might understand your word. And Lord, we come to this concept of an inheritance and we pray, oh Lord, that you would give to us great confidence that this inheritance has truly been sealed to us through the work of Christ and the giving of Your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. This past week, I've had a lot of opportunity to think of the concept of inheritance. The first and most obvious reason is that our passage for this week deals with this concept. And so in preparation for the sermon, I've thought through and read much about inheritance, inheritance law in the ancient world. I've looked up the concept of inheritance throughout the word of God and see how it is theologically developed into the idea of the future blessing of eternal life and a renewed creation. However, I have also been thinking about inheritance this week because April and I just this past Thursday, had our wills rewritten and signed. We hadn't updated our wills since we moved to Virginia from South Carolina. And obviously, because of that, we didn't have our fifth child, Josephine, included in our wills. And so we thought it was time to have these rewritten. So to avoid any confusion about our wishes for our estate or the future care of our children, should anything happen to us, we had them updated. It's important for such things to be made known. You don't want any surprises in these matters. Have you ever known someone who was hoping for an inheritance but was surprised when the time came and realized they had received nothing? Maybe it was someone who failed to save for retirement, believing that their rich uncle would take care of them once he died, only to find out that their rich uncle wasn't as rich as they believed. Or maybe you had a friend who cared for an aging parent, sacrificing much, even sacrificing their own career with the belief that they would be financially compensated by the estate, only to find out that their parent had made no such provision. Or maybe you know a spoiled individual 
who has greedily lived off their parents' generosity and believed that generosity would be reflected in the will, but received nothing. Or maybe you personally have been disappointed by not receiving what you thought you deserved, or maybe even what you had been verbally promised. In an op-ed for the Washington Post in 2016, one woman commenting on such a disappointment recalled, after my father's funeral... I was informed by my brother, who is a lawyer and the executor of the will, that I had been totally cut out. I asked why, and he said it was dad's wishes. I have not spoken to my siblings since. I will never speak to them again. I have since reevaluated my life and my past. What did I do wrong? The hurt will never, ever go away. Some people might argue that no child has a right to their parents' money and that a parent has the right to decide to whom his estate will pass. Nevertheless, rarely is it the money that is truly desired from a child. Rather, it is the final opportunity for a parent to affirm their love, their care, their trust in their children. It is a last opportunity to bless those who you leave behind. And therefore, it's very important That people know for certain what your desires are. In our passage for this morning, the Apostle Paul is reassuring the Galatians that they are not going to be cut out of the family will. They will not be left out of the heavenly inheritance promised to the sons of Abraham. You see, the false teachers were were putting doubts in their minds. Only those who are truly Abraham's sons will receive the inheritance. Only those who keep the whole law will be included in the will. If you have not received circumcision, if you do not follow the dictates of the law, you will be cut out. For why would God give anything to illegitimate children like you? But Paul counters in verses 15 through 18. And he clearly demonstrates that the inheritance promised to those who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation is unchanging. That it's unbreakable and that it is everlasting. Now in the first paragraph of most modern wills is a statement along the lines of, I revoke any other wills or amendment to wills made by me. And this means that any previous will that has, that has been written is rendered null and void By your most recent will, right? All you have to do is write a new one and all your old ones are null and void. However, in ancient Greek and Roman culture, it was much more difficult to alter one's will than just to write a new one. For once a will was drawn up, it had to be deposited in the public record. And to ever alter your will... Had to in, uh, you had to engage in a lot of bureaucratic work to get it out of the public record, to rewrite it, and to re-enter it into this public record. Yet whether we're speaking of the ancient world or the modern, once the testator, that is the writer of the will, has died, no one can change the terms of the will. It is unchangeable. And this is what Paul has in mind when he says in verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. 
Now, most likely the man-made covenant, which Paul refers to here in verse 15, is a will. And his argument is that once a will has been ratified, that is, once it has been sealed by the death of the testator, you cannot change it. You cannot get out of it. You might not appreciate that your aunt left $500,000 to the care of her pet poodle, Fluffy. But if that's what she did, and it has been duly established and ratified, you can't annul it. And in like manner, the Lord has made a promise of an inheritance to the offspring of Abraham. They will inherit everlasting life. As we have already noted throughout Scripture, the promise of Canaan as the possession of Abraham's children developed first from shadow into full substance as the Lord giving to His people the whole world renewed by the Spirit at the coming of Christ. And therefore, there is a whole constellation of terms and concepts that are connected to this idea. You have Canaan, the promised land, the inheritance, the Sabbath rest, paradise, the entire world, life everlasting, a renewed Eden, the Holy Spirit. You see, these are all connected and pointing to this one belief that the Lord has determined to give to His children a great inheritance, a world filled with blessing and fruitfulness and life. A world in which disorder, sin, pain, and death has been defeated. This inheritance was first offered at Eden. But our parents rebelled. They squandered the inheritance. And then this inheritance was promised to Abraham. And foreshadowed in the land of Canaan. The land flowing with milk and honey. This inheritance was secured on the cross, opened by the resurrection of Christ, and revealed to be not just the land of Canaan, but the entire earth. This inheritance is provisionally received by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the worship of God's people gathered together. And this inheritance will be fully received when the Lord Jesus returns and brings all of His elect into the new heavens and the new earth. But the Gentile Christians were being told that they would be written out of the will. They were being told that only true sons who submit to the law will be included in this promise. Faith in Jesus Christ, they would say, is no substitute for outward marks of holiness. You need to be circumcised. You need to obey the dietary laws. Sure, God made a promise, but the inheritance will only go to Abraham's true sons. But that is not how a covenant works. Even a man-made covenant argues, Paul. For the very nature of a covenant promise is that it is unchanging. God has made a promise that all those who trust in Jesus Christ are true sons of Abraham by faith. And that the inheritance is received not by the law, but rather by faith. Again, to quote Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. How do we know? How do we have confidence that we will receive the blessing of life everlasting, the inheritance promised? God's covenant promises are unchangeable. And therefore you will receive such a promise. Now, it's not uncommon 
to hear stories of children who are left out of their parents' will for legitimate reasons. Maybe the child has been irresponsible and his portion of the inheritance is given to a more responsible child or grandchild. Maybe a child borrowed against his inheritance and has received his portion in advance. Or maybe a parent just doesn't have anything to pass down to his child. Situations change and people's poor choices and actions can affect the outcome of what happens. But in verse 16, Paul makes an argument that God's promise of inheritance is secure because the parties involved in the will make it unbreakable. That is, the promise that is made is made between God the Father and God the Son, and therefore it is unbreakable. Listen to what he says in verse 16. You can look down at your text there. It says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. You see, Paul is saying that there has been a promise that has been made between these parties. And the promise comes from God the Father through Abraham to Christ. Okay, so God the Father makes a promise to a future offspring As Paul says, you can see it there, who is Christ? There is a promise that is being made between God the Father and God the Son. This argument has caused much confusion over the years because Paul seems to make a point about something that is grammatically irrelevant. The word offspring is what we call a collective singular, right? You don't have to say offsprings to mean many. The word offspring can mean one or it can mean many, just like hare or moose or rice. You don't have to say, I have a bowl full of rices, right? You understand that when you say, I have a bowl full of rice, that there is a lot of different pieces of rice in there. It's a collective singular. And Paul knows this when he uses the word offspring because he uses it in a collective sense throughout his writings. So what is his point? What does he mean when he says that the scripture does not say and to offsprings. It doesn't have to say offsprings to mean many. What Paul is saying, what he is getting at, is the unity of the promise ultimately fulfilled in one particular person. You see, there are not many lines through which the promised inheritance comes. There is not like there's a Jewish offspring and that you receive the promise of salvation through the Jewish offspring and then there's the Gentile offspring and you receive a different type of inheritance through the Gentile offspring. There is not different lines through which this promise comes. Rather, there is one unified line through which the inheritance is given and this line, this offspring, came to its fulfillment in one person, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the promise of the inheritance was made to Christ because if it was made to anyone else, they broke the promise. Christ is the promised seed. Christ is the fulfillment. There are not many ways to be included in the promise. There is one way and one way only and is through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, then you are a part of the offspring of Abraham. And if you are not in Christ, then you're not. 
And this means that the promise cannot be broken because it was made to Christ and it was fulfilled by Christ. The children of Abraham were set aside as holy, but they continued to walk in disobedience. They continued to rebel. And if it had been up to them, the inheritance would have been lost yet again. And this is true of us as well. If you are hoping for an inheritance from God, that is, if you are desirous of life everlasting, you have to come to terms with the fact that you do not deserve such an inheritance. You would have ruined, you would have squandered such a gift like the prodigal son who asked for it beforehand and went and squandered it. If it were up to us to please God, we would each be written out of the will. But the promise is unbreakable. The inheritance is secure because it has been earned by one offspring, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one offspring who has obeyed. He is the one offspring who will receive the inheritance. God the Father made a promise to God the Son. If you would obey, I will give you the whole world. And so God the Son obediently humbled Himself by becoming man. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and died a sacrificial death. And then on the third day, He rose from the dead. And in doing so, He opened up the pathway to the inheritance. The resurrection is the proof that this promise is unbreakable. For God the Father would not go back on God the Son. And God the Son would not disobey God the Father. And so following His resurrection, the Son ascended to the right hand of the Father to receive the promised inheritance that He would rule over the whole world. And in that, He poured out the Holy Spirit upon us, His people, as a sign and a seal that we too will receive such an inheritance. So don't allow yourself to doubt the promise. For we are so prone to judge and to doubt ourselves as worthy. And then we go into despair because we could never live up to the call that has been placed upon our lives. On the other hand, we might walk in the delusion, believing that by our outward legal abiding, we have earned the inheritance. Rather, we must repent and we must believe and we must receive the promised Holy Spirit from Christ, the seal of of the life to come. And so if we would have confidence in the promised inheritance of God, we must believe that it's unchanging. We must believe that it is unbreakable. And the final thing I want us to see in our text is that to walk in confidence that we will receive God's inheritance of life, we must believe that God's promise is never ending. Look at verses 17 through 18. Paul says this, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Paul is asking, is there an expiration date on the promises of God? Do they go bad? Did the Lord make a promise to Abraham and then 430 years later change the terms of the promise? Of course, the answer is no. The Lord does not annul or make his promises void after a period of time. 
There is no statute of limitations on the promises of God. Once the Lord has established the covenant, it is an everlasting covenant. What does this mean? Well, it means that the law, which came 430 years after Abraham, did not change. It didn't annul the covenant any more than the new covenant is an annulment of the old covenant. That is to misunderstand the relationship between God's promises, the covenant made with Abraham and the covenant made with Israel through Moses. They are both a part of the one overarching covenant of grace, all developing and pointing towards the ultimate fulfillment who is Christ. The law instituted during the time of Moses only served to develop the earlier covenant made with Abraham. And since the foundation of the covenant was promise, not law, we know that the promise continues to be the foundation of God's relationship with his people. As your children grow, your relationship with them needs to develop and grow as well. For example, you expect more around the home from a 16-year-old than you do from a 16-month-old child, right? At 16 months, they destroy everything. They go in, they get all the toys out, they throw them around. They are not going to be doing chores for you at 16 months. But at 16 years, you would hope that they would come and they would help around the house. But the basis of the relationship doesn't change. The loving bond between a parent and a child is not annulled, but the outplaying of that relationship naturally matures as the child grows older. And God's relationship with His people, the foundation always remains the same. He made a gracious promise to give His people an inheritance. The promise does not change. The love He has for His people does not change. However, the outplaying of that covenant relationship does develop and grow as God's plan of salvation is played out in history. From Abraham to Moses, from Moses to David, from David to Christ, each epic of redemption looks different in some ways from its predecessor. And yet in each epic, the nature of the relationship is God's gracious promise of an inheritance received by faith. It is the gospel given by grace and received through faith in Jesus Christ. So how do you have confidence that you will receive the inheritance? How do you know that you will receive the blessing of life everlasting? You place your full trust in the promise of the gospel, knowing that the promise has no expiration date. It's the same promise that was given to Abraham, the same promise that was given to Israel, the same promise that was given to David. The whole world is given to God's people through faith in Jesus Christ. For our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, it's my opinion that your will should not come as a surprise to anyone whom it directly affects. Parents, I would suggest that you have such conversations with your children and other people whom your death may affect, that there aren't surprises. People have a hard time having these conversations, but they are very important so that your last act in this world does not come as a disappointment, leaving those who you love with unanswered questions. It's been the Lord's desire to give His children such clear communication about the inheritance. 
to give to his children a great inheritance. And he's been very clear in communicating the nature of that inheritance. He has given to us his word, his oath, his covenant bond, that he will surely give to us the promised land, the life everlasting. This is his will for us, his people, that we would receive such an inheritance and that he has made it very clear how we become his heirs. You place your full trust in the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the inheritance comes to us not through obedience to the law, but rather through faith in the promises of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you and we confess that we so often interact with you as though you are a fickle father who might ultimately and secretively write us out of the will and that when we come to that moment of our own death that we will be surprised But your word is so clear. Your promises are so secured. Sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ and guaranteed to us by the resurrection. And so I pray, Lord, for all who are here this morning and all who might be watching this through the live stream, that you would seal unto them by your Holy Spirit confidence in the inheritance that is to come, that they might walk in boldness in this life, freed from the fear of death, knowing that the inheritance of life everlasting is unchanging, unbreakable, and everlasting. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.